Sometimes you see a critic rating, see the low score, and question if the critics were just being mean. Then you see produced, co-written, and starring Adam Sandler, and suddenly start questioning if it could be any lower. Well, saddle up, hombres, and steer clear of the back of the bureau, because we're about to tackle our toughest hurdle of all, proving to you that the Ridiculous Six is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, grades in B, movies. And I think I need to preface our show a little bit with a, a, a slight disclaimer here, because sometimes here on the show, we like a challenge, and if any movie of the history of this show was ever going to give us a challenge, it was going to be this one. But along for that challenge is my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, welcome back to the show. Okay, I have to ask, you know, because we went back and forth on a couple of different movies on this one. And when you saw that The Ridiculous Six was a contender, well, we knew it was going to be a contender based on the rating but that we were actually going to tackle this one. Um, at what point did you regret your life choices? Oh, I would say about 30 minutes in to the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then followed by every minute thereafter. No, you know what? I am sorry. I am here to be positive. And that is what I will try do now i i do have to put a disclaimer on on carrie's you know probably opinion here because this is a woman as lovely as she is as beautiful as she is thinks that hubie halloween is a good movie so your 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 standpoint on actual Adam Sandler movies and what's good and what's not may be a tad bit skewered here. Okay, but in my defense, I could quite easily say good things about Hubie Halloween. Really? Yeah. Oh. Ridiculous Six is uh, a bit I'm, of a challenge. I'm going to tell bit you right challenge. now, my MVP for Hubie Halloween would be the end credits because that means that the suffering has ended. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it was it was good. No, Tim, Tim Meadows was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, said no one ever. But before we get into the Ridiculous Six, it is time to take uh, this curious... Netflix choice and trailerize it. Sony, the makers of Morbius, turned the movie down. Paramount, makers of The Love Guru, turned this movie down. Warner Brothers, the makers of Battlefield Earth and Catwoman, turned this movie down. Netflix said, Hold my beer. Adam Sandler stars in The Ridiculous Six, a movie with a secret mission to make you look at the other films in Sandler's filmography and take back all the bad things you said about his other movies because this one tops them all. With an all-star cast of comedy greats in need of a paycheck, The Ridiculous Six makes the Are You Still Watching message on Netflix seem less like a timing out issue 
and more like an intervention. The Ridiculous Six, rated TV 14. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had to stifle the laughter when you got to the intervention part. <laughs> it is. Like, if you, if you watch, I mean, like, we all joked like, around. Like, Are you really still watching? Are you still watching? <laughs> it stopped about 20 times in the middle of the movie. Like, are you sure you want to keep watching? Like, like. <laughs> this is your out. <laughs> you can change the channel. You have the power to end this. That's basically what Netflix <laughs> is saying. We hope you're asleep. Oh. <laughs> or chilling. <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. That, that would be Netflix saying, you're not really watching this movie. You're just having sex right now. That's basically <laughs> what it is. No one watches this movie. Like, th- this is the movie you put on because you know you're not going to watch it. Re- don't put on a movie on Netflix that you you actually have the intention of watching. Does that... Wait, wait, wait. Does that make Ridiculous Six the best f- film ever? Because nope. no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares to watch this movie. It's like, oh, put the Ridiculous Six on. Nothing better to do. I, well, uh, <laughs> possibly, but I would say it's a mood killer. Does, does that mean people are Netflix and chilling to the Ridiculous Six? Someone's getting their freak on to Sandler? No. Yeah, I no. can't imagine. Oh, no. This is the version of Netflix and chill where it feels like a cold shower, I think. Well, I mean, his hair was on point. Really? Eh. No. It's the nicest thing I could say, man. <laughs> I'm struggling here. <laughs> struggling. Okay, so this movie stars, and I'm, I'm just going to go through the main cast here because there's a ton of cameos here, but stars Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, Taylor Lautner, Terry Crews, George Garcia, Luke Wilson, Steve Zahn, Julia Jones, Nick Nolte, Danny Trejo, and Harvey Keitel with a, with a ton of cameos in there. It was directed by Frank Karachi, who was actually Sandler's NYU classmate. And Karachi's previous films with Sandler include The Wedding Singer, The Water Boy, and Click. And when you actually take a look at Sandler's filmography, those movie standards is actually not bad as far as the things that he's put out. So uh, a good choice to work on, you know, uh, with Sandler on this one here. The budget. Would you believe... Netflix actually gave Sandler $60 million for this. Like, seriously, it's a $60 million budget with no box office because, of course, it's straight to streaming. Did he give them back change? I I don't think so. I don't think so because I'm sure... Uh, the paychecks that went to the actors in this is more like a like a like a like an I'm sorry, like yeah, you know, pain and suffering. Well, that's the thing. Is I mean, okay, so location, actor salaries, mm-hmm. oh, costuming. I, the costuming was on point. I mean, I don't I don't doubt that the movie did cost sixty million dollars to make. I'm just surprised that someone would pony up sixty dollars for this dog and pony show like seriously I like how you said $60 the $60 <laughs> it might, might be worth it I, we could have made a better film for 60 bucks I would want change <laughs> so, no, Mr. Just, Sandler like I, I, I understand that a movie does take millions and millions of dollars to make and 60 million dollars in the grand scheme of things um, 
if the movie was good, maybe justified. But I just wonder, you know, why Netflix thought that this was a good idea. Now, I do understand that this was part of Netflix's exclusive deal with Sandler to make a bunch of movies for them. Because, uh, of course, at the time, the, this movie came out, I think it was a 2015. Uh, this is when Netflix was really starting to ramp up their original production slate. And, you know, say what you will, but Adam Sandler... But there is a distinct fan base for his movies. So, you know, this is, you know, if you're an Adam Sandler fan, I think this is pretty much what you're expecting. Now, here's the one that surprised me, though, is that, believe it or not, this film received zero Razzie nominations. It is Razzie-free, stinkers-free. I mean, it ain't winning no real awards, but so I was surprised that this didn't win, or at least was nominated for worst film. That being said, I had to take a look, and because this film was released late December in 2015, so you know you're looking at the 2016 Razzie Awards. That year, the worst movie, according to the Razzies, was a previous episode of this podcast, The Fantastic Four, and. I hate to say it, but I actually think the the Ridiculous Six may have been better than that Fantastic Four movie. Ooh, that's a bold statement right there. But well, I, I think I it's th- expectations, though. I think, though, maybe if it's time-wise, like if it was released late December, it would probably just have skirted, uh, like gone in under the radar. Yeah, but and because it wasn't a theatrical release, again, it probably was maybe forgotten by the time 2016 rolled around, uh, or there was so much more, more recent, more relevant um, movies, Fantastic Four, uh, that was, I don't know, more in the forefront yeah. of people's minds. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I do I, I do appreciate that there there's a stretch of time, especially when Netflix was starting to ramp up their own productions, right? Where there was almost like a snobbery about movies that went straight to streaming. You know, oh, it's not a real movie. If it didn't play in the theaters, it's not a real movie. I don't, I don't, I don't even see the reason. I, I understand that people were going to make that that line in the sand that Netflix was trying to challenge the box offices and you know people tried to lower the the legitimacy of movies that went straight to streaming um I don't think you needed to lower the the you know the bar on this one but I do understand where the pushback came from even if it's not justified because there are some films that were made straight for streaming services that are and I would hate to say it far superior than some of the stuff that's in the box office Morbius but you know um <laughs> yeah. I almost said are you okay <laughs> <laughs> if I say Morbius then I'm not okay <laughs> I'm not okay um but here's he's not choking ladies and gentlemen no no, no. No, although Morbius was a bit of a choke job in itself. Um, But here's why we are talking about this film. Over on Metacritic, it has an 18 score. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, a 34% audience score. But the critics, a zero. None. Donut. Zip, zilch, niente. That tomato isn't just rotten. It is soiled. It's pining for the fjords. Okay, again, I think maybe it 
went in under the radar. It's possible. Like somehow skirted critic attention at all. No, 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 no. It was rated. It was poorly rated. And and I, I think part oh, like of... Zeros all around. Zeros all around. Unanimously. I, well, I think part of the problem, and we have to discuss this here, because this film, and, and I, I think I'm being, you know, polite in saying this, it is culturally insensitive. Yes. Yeah. Like, I am surprised. Like, you, sometimes you go back and watch movies in the 80s, and like, like we watched Police Academy on TV, uh, like the original Police Academy, like the OG Steve, Steve Gutenberg Police Academy. And you watch that with the sensibilities of 2022 and you go, wow, this movie with this script would not get made today. This film came out in 2015. Okay. I thought long and hard about this topic and I am, here's my disclaimer, I am not defending it and I agree with your statement that it is culturally insensitive, 100%. -hmm. However, with that being said, it also makes no bones about it. It's not like it's, it's not like it's unintentionally being racist or insensitive or, I mean, just, just wrong. (laughs) There's, There's no other way of putting it. However, it, does it in a manner that is so self-aware that it's almost like, not like it's okay to laugh or find the jokes funny. Wait, you laughed? It, uh, at all? Maybe, possibly once, uh, or maybe <laughs> I was choking on water at the time. Fever dream. Um, no, <laughs> okay, Terry Crews. I like Terry Crews. I thought he was very funny when he was pointing out, you know, that he was indeed black and that he was so grateful for his brothers mm-hmm. for being the first people who, he you can know, open that up who believed him. <laughs> like, um, so, you know what? It, again, was it completely inappropriate? Yes, Yes, 1,000%. (laughs) However, there was so much inappropriate and so much wrong with it that it was almost like that was the running gag and that was the intention. And eh. I I mean, I mean, let's, let's, let's. I can see. Yeah. I can see how other studios had turned it down. Nope. Not even touching that. Won't even make Mm -hmm. that movie. However, in the context of it was in the vein of a a, a western feel mm-hmm. um a lot of those racial stereotypes were very present but maybe not as in your face oh, God, and i yeah, think like that it. was the point they were trying to make oh yeah i mean like if you if you go back and watch any of those classic western films from like you know the john wayne era and stuff like that and you you watch it with today's sensibilities and you're like who yeah yeah whoo. you can't do that on television <laughs> no you can't do that on television you can't do that on a film no 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 and no um but let, let's just call this out here it's an Adam Sandler film. 
Like, if you're expecting uh, intellectual discussion of cultural roles in the, the in the classic Western era, Adam Sandler is not the guy to bring that to you. Like, like just, right. let's be honest. And I do accept the fact that there, there were some people on set uh, at the time of filming who walked off set, uh, basically disgusted with the portrayal of Native Americans in this film. I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. But you signed up for an Adam Sandler film. What the hell were you expecting? Okay, but good, good, good on them. Mm-hmm. Good on oh, them. Absolutely. You know what? I love hearing that because I actually, I'm going to be honest, aside from watching the movie, um, which I barely made it through to the maybe the last 32 minutes, I have not fully been present <laughs> for I, I will I will um, say and I have to mention this out uh Sean Faust on Twitter chimed in on this movie said I barely made it through five minutes so like it's okay you, so you're not the only one <laughs> pretty good that I got you know almost to the end almost um I had to get the Coles Notes version um <laughs> however a happy Madison production this was mm-hmm. oh, um, absolutely everything from the site gags you know, the beginning where Sandler had that, you want to see that again? And then they have the sped up uh, fight scene. You know, that I mean, that was very much um, the uh, the Zohan movie. Oh, you don't mess with the Zohan, which, right? uh, which, which I'll admit, like, again, you know, you, you could sit there and say that's culturally inappropriate too. Uh, I will say that I do, you don't mess with the Zohan. It's kind of like my Sandler guilty pleasure um this is this this feels like the intervention now like hi i'm jay i like to watch you don't mess with the zohan you know and everyone goes hi jay you know well let's be honest like how many times um did we have discussions about okay what movie are we doing next and i would literally search up adam sandler <laughs> and his filmography and be like well we could pick any one of these um Throw a dart. little nikki i will defend to the death Oh, God, you're going to make me watch that again, aren't you? Mainly because I want to see Harvey Keitel Mm. as the devil. I just, I love him. But anyway, I digress. You want to see Tarantino again? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, he was it. Burn it hellfire! (laughs) So great. Um, I'm so glad you mentioned Tarantino because I do have a question, and I know I should know this answer. What year... Did Hateful Eight come out? Okay, so Hateful Eight, I think, came out the year after. Uh, now interesting. Here, now, now okay. here's the interesting thing, though. Like, apparently, the Hateful Eight, and I was doing a little bit of research on this. Uh, and by the way, the Ridiculous Six is in no way, um, it, it's it's not an homage or it's not a retelling of the Magnificent Seven or the Seven Samurai. Um, this just happens, it's, it's the title, I think, is a bit of a play on that, but that's about it. Uh, of course, The Magnificent Seven, you know, being a classic Western, which, of course, is a retelling of Akira Kurosawa's um, uh, The Seven Samurai. Uh, but the thing with The Hateful Eight um, is that apparently it took like $44 million to make that film on like 70 millimeter film. Like that's Tarantino showing off his his cinematic sensibilities. Um, I will say not my favorite Tarantino movie. Uh, I, I don't disagree. I really don't disagree. Um, I, I'd be curious who the editor was on uh, the Hateful Eight because I find, I find like uh, let, let's be honest, Tarant- Tarantino's best films are when Sally Mankey is in the the editor's chair. Well, that might be around the same time when 
she passed away. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like a, a director and editor relationship goes so well. Um, but I mean, who knows, right? I mean, that's that's my biggest con- uh, criticism about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that I can I could go in there and trim out about a half an hour of that film and make it much more compact and you know less butt numbing. Mm. Like that, and and that's also nothing against the film. About- also what I felt about Batman. Oh, the Batman. The Batman. The Batman. Oh, the, the Batman. That was a butt number. And there were there was a deleted scene. Yet it was very good. Mm-hmm. Very good. However, again, I felt it was too long. Yeah. There were points that I could have sat there and simply said, okay, let's cut this scene. Um, you know. And, and that's like they released a deleted scene from that film. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it could have been longer. But, but let's talk about this. Because this was two hours of my life I wish I had back. Do we have to? <laughs> I'd rather talk about these I was other about to movies. Say, Welcome to the Ridiculous Six. Uh, the best thing to do with the Ridiculous Six is to go and watch another film. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. But no, we have to deal with this film and we need to start with the Ridiculous Six themselves. And let's start with Sandler, okay? White knife. Um, here's here's the, the funny thing I'm going to say about this. And I wonder how much of this is um, akin to or at least credited to Frank Caracci, the director, is that here's Sandler, who is known for doing some of the most dumbest characters in cinematic history you know as far as the, the water boy and billy madison and he, ha- he has this thing about you know you could almost you could almost hear the the sandlerisms in your head like, but not here not here here his his character is stoic and and you know almost monotone as the one of the most monotone Sandler performances that I think we've seen, but I think and and in all in all fairness, this film needed him 
to be at that at that stoic level and i think he actually you know toned it down to a perfect level for this character and let everything else be crazy around him i agree i agree because um again i mean he really was the the thread that kept the storyline together mm-hmm. and i absolutely agree that him being so even keel allowed for the other characters to shine with the exception of Rob Schneider being Rob Schneider <laughs> in any role, Rob Schneider. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, but that's the thing. Like, like, like we mentioned this earlier. Like you think about the movies that Karachi has directed with um, with Sandler, The Wedding Singer. Like whatever you think of Adam Sandler, The Wedding Singer is a classic. Love it. Right. Click. Um, surprisingly. You know, there, there, there's actually quite a bit of heart in that film. Uh, we have talked on this podcast when we were talking about um, uh, the internship about how Sean Levy, as a director, has the ability to take these comedic actors and pump a whole lot of heart into their films. I mean, you think about Free Guy, right? There's a lot of heart in Free Guy. Uh, you think about the the Adam project that uh, that Levy directed with uh, with Ryan Reynolds. There's a there's a ton of heart in that film. I think Karachi actually brings uh, and I, I, I uh, disclaimer. I hope I'm not messing up his name, but I'm pretty sure it's Karachi. But I, I hope I'm I hope I'm right. Uh, but if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But so is this movie. There's my disclaimer on that one. I think Karachi has the ability to bring the best out of Sandler because if you let him go off, this film is even worse and we might see a negative Rotten Tomatoes score. Is that possible? I'd be curious. Is there a movie that would actually deserve a negative score on Rotten Tomatoes? (laughs) Write to us that it's not that bad (laughs) and we'll cover it. Uh, Now I'm curious. Hit us up on Twitter at Not That Badcast and let us know if there's a movie you think deserves a negative Rotten Tomatoes score. I'm I'm curious what movies would pop up. Less Uh, than zero. Less than also less than zero. I think was a better movie than this. (laughs) There was a movie called Less Than Zero. Uh, Now I have to see if Less Than Zero has a has a Rotten Tomatoes score that we could talk about. Now I'm curious. Uh, You mentioned Rob Schneider. This is very much the most Rob Schneider role that ever Rob Schneidered. Um, it's 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 so him. Like, and and I get like I don't know off the top of my head if there's a Sandler movie out there that has or doesn't have Schneider in it. Uh, at least not one that he has, direct, has uh, written and you know done with Happy Madison. Um, but I think he's contractually obligated to <laughs> write a role for Rob Schneider. To Rob Schneider all over the place. Yeah, that's where five million went right there. No, um, but here's the thing: if you take a look at the cast in this, do you really picture anyone else taking that role and actually running with it as Rob Schneider's character? Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> no. And you know what? His lines were funny. He did make me laugh. I, I will was, say, I laughed, I giggled, and then I was like, "Ooh, I shouldn't have laughed at that part." But <laughs> you know, I, I did have remorse. I had, I had, I had guilt. <laughs> I, I, I will say, you know, um, 
I mean, this role is wrong to begin with. Like, if if Sandler's character is culturally insensitive to Native Americans, Schneider's character is culturally insensitive to to Mexicans. Um, but it's Rob Schneider in an Adam Sandler movie. Um, I I think though you're right. I think he actually had his character had the funniest lines because Sandler <sighs> Sandler's not funny in this. But I don't think he's meant to be funny in this. I think everyone else is given the the space to be funny, uh, and Sandler is like like you said, like the 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 thread that holds the shirt together. Um, it's not a pretty shirt, but he holds it together. Schneider here is is probably the best one liner delivery uh, of everyone in this film. Um, I'm not surprised that it's Schneider though. Cause I mean that, that, that's a common, you know, comedy relationship that goes back a number of years. Uh, Terry Crews. I like him. I, I like him a lot. I love Terry Crews. I mean, not for- in this, but I liked him. <laughs> I really, really like him. Here's the thing. I mean, Terry Crews is one of those guys that the minute he gets on screen, you smile, you smile as big as Terry Crews smiles because Here's a guy who is, you know, so massive and, you know, so such an imposing figure that I love that he doesn't typecast himself in a way that, you know, he's not your your typical action star taking on all these serious like superhero type roles. I love funny Terry Crews. I love Terry Crews just enjoying life, right? If Terry Crews is dancing... Terry Crews is singing. If Terry Crews is trying to play the piano with his, I'm I'm smiling because his his almost self awareness and his comedy and just his just his his personality shine through the screen every time. And yeah, again, not the best script, not the best script. If you want to know where the script came from, I think the burrow shouted out as a as a sign of approval, but. Terry Crews in this role um, just soaks it up every scene. Here's where I have to start questioning the choices made, not by the actors per se, but by the agents who let the actors take these roles. Taylor Lautner is Little Pete, the idiot brother. Who told him this was a good idea? Like, I understand wanting to distance yourself from the Twilight movies. Who the hell told Taylor Lautner that this was a good idea? This is the role you expect Sandler to take. Like just a kind of kind of role. Taylor Lautner? Maybe he needed the money. That's all I can think. I I mean he doesn't have a lot going on, does he? Like uh, upstairs or in the role? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in his filmography. <laughs> well, I'm, so I'm saying like, like you know, he's one of the major characters in the Twilight series. No, but so, after. Life after Twilight. Well, I, I, this is life after Twilight. I am hearing, I'm hearing Sam Jackson say, any of these movies make any f- money? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. This- also, Michael Sheen in Twilight. <laughs> but that's the thing. This is life after Twilight for him. Someone told him this was a good idea. But the funny thing is, and and I, I will say this, is that if you're going to put someone in a role like that, if you're going to have someone be the idiot, 
have it be the the actor who you don't expect to be the idiot. Like having Lautner in this role, like arguably like your your typical heartthrob type actor, having him in this role makes it a lot funnier. And I do have to say, the whole hanging scene. Like I, I laughed. <laughs> yeah, I, th- me th- too. This is one of those like this is one of those stupid laugh moments where I'm just like, oh dear God! <laughs> like, like, I like, love the singing. Let, let him swing away. <laughs> you can't catch me. You can't catch. Me. <laughs> it's uh, a good thing I have a thick neck. Oh my God! Oh. <laughs> like, and that's the thing, right? It's it's the fact that here's the guy you don't expect to be the idiot, and yet. It somehow kind of worked for him, like. Yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for something different, if you're looking for something to to be a bit of a shock as as far as the you know what the fan base expects of you, this is it. I don't know if it was the wisest choice, but I will say that probably one of the bigger laughs I've had in this movie was thanks to Taylor Lautner and that whole hanging scene. And I'm not saying this because I want to hang everyone in Twilight. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. Never watched Twilight. But I'm just saying this was a funny scene. George Garcia as Mern or Merv or whatever they called him there. <laughs> Insert grunting noise in, here. In, exactly. Uh, most people will recognize him uh, from his role in Lost. You will recognize him, Gary, as the Blitz from How I Met Your Mother. This is what happens when you're the Blitz. You become a grunting, monosyllabic, caveman-type character whose mom did way too much moonshine. Um, but what were your thoughts on 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 this on this character? <laughs> you know what? Um, huh? Well, <laughs> you, you are stalling because your brain is starting to rebel against. You. <laughs> Like you think you think about the nature of the show. We're here to try to talk good things about bad movies. Your brain is currently rebelling against you. <laughs> it's 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 like your cerebral cortex is about to come out and <laughs> kick you for even trying to do the mental gymnastics it takes to say anything good about this film. My internal dialogue is Say something nice. <laughs> oh, Thumper, come on. You know what? <laughs> um, huh. <laughs> well, um. You're, I, you're, you're going to start sounding like him. I liked how all the brothers were so very different and unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and this character was a bit surprising. Like when they first introduced him, I was like, where are they going with this one? <laughs> um, but um, I, I'll, I'll come back to him. Can I circle back? You can circle back. I, I, I do. I will say it's relevant. It, I will say that. In in the context of the of the of the ridiculous six themselves of those six characters, I like the fact that George Garcia brought um, almost uh, like a rallying cry to him. Like he's here's the character that everyone almost tries to take care of and include kind of thing because he had such a um, isolated 
monosyllabic upbringing. Um, like, I love... That's something I will say, is that the Ridiculous Six, the six characters, you know, as as absurd as the script is, as, as much burrow excrement as the script is, there's something about the six characters, about them coming together and looking after each other and finding each other, um that that that's really in a sense heartwarming even if it is completely wrong and you know you know you shouldn't be enjoying this this camaraderie but i think george garcia's portrayal of 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 Myrna or merv or whatever um or herver whatever whatever the 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 monosyllabic herner whatever i thought it was hern 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 hern, hern. hern. <laughs> <laughs> which is also me before coffee um i think he's the heart of the group like he's that 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 almost he's the bear hug of the group right if anyone's going to to be able to bring help bring everyone together it's him in a weird kind of way interesting because i was looking at the other brother um oh god we were just talking about him hold on um Oh, little Pete, Taylor Lautner. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at little Pete that way. That mm. he really was—he's the brother that you want to, you know, you just want to give him a big hug and just take care of him and, and take him under your wing. I think that the the um was kind of the protector of the mm-hmm. group. I think he was the muscle, and I. I like that. And and I will say too, in, in in a weird kind of positive note on this, is that each of the six, you know, um, at least definitely of the five that we've already talked about, um, they're good people that just grew up in bad situations, uh, that probably needed a bit more guidance and a bit more care and a bit more support. Uh, I mean Obviously, this film's got some daddy issues. I'm not going to lie, um, or at least lack of daddy issues. But you know, you, you you think about Sandler's character and you know Tommy, and you know he was brought up right by the by the tribe and taught to taught to be a good person, right? Um, you look at at Schneider and you know the way he cares for his burrow, maybe a little too much. But, you know, it's, you could see that there's a good person there. Little Pete is just, you know, I don't know if Little Pete could know bad. He loved his mama. Right? And that's the thing, like constantly writing letters to his mom. Like, like we're talking a, a good, good person. Terry Crews, who is, you know, almost like the, the conscience of the, of the Golden Saloon there. Um, you know, and trying to stop Harvey Keitel from beating on Luke Wilson. Um, like. Again, like here's a guy who could basically shatter everyone in the room, and yet he's the piano player, even though he probably plays it with his words, not mine, not mine. Um, and then you, you've got George Garcia, Hearn, um, like b- big moonshiny mountain man, and yet he's somehow strangely adorable in this, like. I, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you know the the ridiculous the characters of the ridiculous six are kind of lovable in their own way if you take a look past all the stupidity and cultural insensitivity. But let's talk about Luke Wilson, the the, the final member of the ridiculous six. Uh, look, I get 
that Owen Wilson kind of gets the bigger roles and has been known to take some of the sillier roles. Luke Wilson's not, you know, no stranger to comedies, but I think, and I will say, like, if you're putting a Wilson brother into this role, I think Luke Wilson is the better choice because you needed a character, you needed someone to bring a little bit more depth because of the nature of, you know, the the backstory of him. I mentioned that this movie has daddy issues. So let's talk about the dad, Nick Nolte. There once was a time when Nick Nolte was like top A grade actor. And now here he is. But I think the fact that, you know, he's on that side of his career, this, this actually almost works for him. And, and I will say that because of his gruffness and his, yeah. There's a lot of sandpaper in Nick Nolte. But I think when you get to the point, and by the way, spoilers, but trust me, I'm saving you from yourself so you don't have to. We watched this movie so you don't have to. This podcast is a public service announcement at this point. We are the intervention. Um, When you get to the double cross at the end of the film, I think Nick Nolte um, is the perfect guy for that. Nick Nolte was great, but... I could also see Sam Elliott be an amazing character. Mm-hmm. And, and there's the funny thing. Dad. I might almost buy Sam Elliott more as the dad of all these characters. But, I mean, I think I think Nick Nolte, you know, <laughs> Sam I, Elliott may have cost them too much. It, you know what? It might also be a typecasting thing because when I think Westerns, I think Sam Elliott. Mm-hmm. And that's my go-to, right? So, um yeah, that might be my bias showing, but I I think Nick Nolte was good. Um, I think he uh, he was gruff enough um, to to play this character believably. And you know what? Again, maybe I mean at the time I can't think of what else he had going on. Mm. Well, the thing is, Sam Elliott is also very protective of like the, the the Western movie model. Like, I don't know if Sam Elliott would actually even you know consider being in this film. But you know who would be, would have been phenomenal in that role, and uh, obviously could not be because you know passed away. Jack Palance. Jack Palance. Uh, you'll probably remember him best uh, from. Batman, the Michael Keaton Batman film, um, as the main crime lord before Jack Nicholson came in. Like, that's I could, interesting. I could easily see him in that role, um, but obviously, you know, way past his time. But you know, you want someone who can do that that gruffness. You want someone who's going to be able to, you know, do a double uh, do do a double cross, and you sit there and go, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, and then, of course, there was his, uh, there was his, uh, I guess, teammate, if you will, Danny freaking Trejo. Like, Machete don't need no explanation, you know, as far as, you know, what, what role he does. But, you know, Trejo just makes sense in this. He was so great. He's so great. You know what? I don't think Trejo has ever made a bad movie or... Likewise, I think that Trejo makes bad movies good. Mm-hmm. 
I, and we've we've talked about this before when we talked about Machete Kills, is that when Danny Trejo steps into a role, you can't help but enjoy it because it's Danny freaking Trejo. You can't help but smile when you see him. Right? Like, But I, I find it... The thing is, Trejo's a funny guy. Yeah. He really is. And when he, you know, if you put him in the, you know, the the comedic role, it's going to work well. I'm curious. I'm curious. Obviously, it wouldn't work necessarily with the age difference, but you know, I would have bought if Trejo was one of the brothers too, because hmm. because then he could be silly. But I instead mean, it, of Rob Schneider, oh god, <laughs> that might be a little bit more culturally sensitive. But you know, I I could see it though. I could because Trejo would just have fun the whole thing but it you know for to for trejo to be um you know the guy who killed yeah yeah i, I can't see that swap though no i can't no, see it, uh, from an from an age perspective no it, it definitely wouldn't work but i could see trejo having fun in in that kind of role but to have him as the as the serious guy and and the the playing the heavy i guess as far as the gang goes it makes sense um which leads us to Julia Jones, uh, who played Smoking Fox, which is about the level of, you know, script intelligence you're getting with the naming of these characters here. Uh, by the way, uh, if you're looking for cultural insensitivity, the naming of the people of the tribe is right up there. Um Oh yeah, there, there there were many cringe moments where I was just like, Oh, did they yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they went there. Damn. They, the burrow out the script um but julia jones as smoking fox you know the the wife to be of adam sandler um here you have an actress who comes into the role and actually provides you know a a little bit of normalcy like she doesn't feel out of place in that role she doesn't because sandler's character isn't you know over the top and being stupid um, her portrayal of, of Smoking Fox actually works well in balance Sandler. It's almost like you could you could easily see these two. Like if this was a serious a serious Western with Sandler as an adopted uh, an adopted son into the tribe, and you took out the stupidity of the film, um, these two actors would still work well in that role. Julia Jones, I think, was was fine as Smoking Fox. I agree. I mean, I thought she was very much on the level and um, a, a very likable, very strong woman character, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, she could hold her own against the roaming gang of thugs. So mm-hmm. you could very easily see where she's the conscience of Adam Sandler. You know, you know, he does. He, she doesn't want him to. Um, to fight because she wants to have a husband. She wants to be with him. She doesn't want someone who's just going to find their way to an early grave through, you know, trying to do the right thing in the wrong way. Like, you know, Julia Jones is is almost the conscience of the film. It kind of makes me wonder why they didn't just, you know, go off and get married and, you yeah. know, like, wh- why... You, you just met your dad. Where the hell are you going? I, I'd like to rewrite the script, please. <laughs> so would many others, I think. The burrow would like another shot. Um, let's talk to some of the smaller roles here. Harvey Keitel is Smiley. <laughs> and you mentioned Little Nicky as well. 
There is something about Harvey Keitel that when he gets the chance to play. Oh, he's so much fun. Oh, absolutely. He is such a good actor. Like, but, he he is one actor that I would absolutely love to just sit and have a dinner with. Like, n- not acting, not as part of a role, but just to, like, talk with him and pick his brain and, you know, like... I, just get to know him because he is so damn likable. Pick his brain as to why the hell he did this movie. <laughs> no, you know <laughs> what? What were you no, thinking, Harvey Keitel? <laughs> no judgment. In fact, you know what? He's one of the best things that I can say about this movie. Mm-hmm. So, like Harvey Keitel, very much like Tim Roth, um, we're talking two very talented actors who have the ability to come in and do very serious roles. But when they get to play, it's even more enjoyable because it's it's so against what you would typecast them to be. So when Harvey Keitel gets to dance around and and just soak in the fun, it's 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 even more fun. Oh yeah, and they they must have had a lot of fun on set as well. Mm-hmm. Someone who probably didn't have a lot of fun, mostly because of the lazy eye prosthetic, was Steve Zahn. <laughs> Like, I feel so bad for Steve Zahn in this. Like, not not because of what his character had to go through, but uh, the thing is, I like Steve Zahn, but the roles he takes are not necessarily the smartest of choices. Like, like I know someday we're going to talk about Sahara because that's a movie based on a Clive Cussler book. And, you know, when, when you're a fan of a series, and we talked about this two for one for the money. When you're a fan of a book series, and all of a sudden it gets put into a movie, and then they start to, to cast it, and you already have this mental image of who should be in that cast. Steve Zahn was not my Al Giardino. He was not. He was so not. However, in this role... He actually works well. Like, uh, I, I liked him in it. I, I I thought he was good. I also liked him in Sahara. I thought he was fun. Fun, just not my. He's not my Al. Hashtag not my Al. But it's just. I mean, here's the thing, right? Sandler movies, especially like the Netflix ones, seem to have a lot of cameos packed into them and a lot of smaller roles. Like, as I'm going through the list here, like, there's a lot of Sandler regulars, like John Lovitz, David Spade, Steve Buscemi, John Turturro. Like, these are these are Sandler go-tos as far as putting them in. So, and it's almost like, you know, we, we joked we joked about this with Robert, uh, Robert Rodriguez films, you know, it's the, and Kevin Smith. It's the work with your friends rule. Um, so... I, I almost appreciate more the fact that, you know, with Sandler getting this deal with Netflix, um, he's bringing his friends in and bringing them along for the ride. Like, it's almost heartwarming when you see one of the regulars pop up in his films. Agreed. And you know what? I think it's a comfort zone as well, right? Like, mm. a lot of the characters, it's almost kind of like, I don't know, when he sits with a screenplay, he's like, okay, I'm going to write this for Schneider. I'm going to write this for Buscemi. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, yeah, not that, is he actually the the writer on this or is it just his production company? Well, no, Sandler and his his longtime co-writer, Tim Herlihy, 
are, are the co-writers on this one. But that's the thing. Sandler, so he's to blame for this. Sandler and Herlihy um, have worked together for years and years and years, like going back to the Saturday Night Live days. So like here you have writers who know who they're writing for. Um, so it makes sense. So, so we're not just talking. He's not just the money man. He actually yep. wrote he, this. Oh, he, wow. he burrowed this one out. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're now questioning all your Sandler choices. <laughs> Okay, but but I I do have to point. If you had to pick one smaller role cameo in this that stood out to you, which one was your favorite? Are we at the VIP? We're not at the VIP yet, but I'm just talking about you know smaller roles that stood out to you. Um, John Lovitz playing, you know, a very John Lovitz, very character. much, you know, like like you would. In fact. Again, little Nikki. <laughs> it's almost kind of like, I don't know, like the Ridiculous Six is like little Nikki only in Western. the Western. Um, yeah, I thought he was good. Um, I'm trying to think as well. Um, same question over to you while I... Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up John Lovitz because there's one actor in that scene one small cameo in that scene that I had to, as soon as I found out who it was, I, 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 I shook my head and went, what, what, what? And it's the guy who played Mark Twain. Cause that's vanilla ice. No. Yes. Okay. Wow. The most hip hop Mark Twain ever is vanilla freaking ice. Okay. I am going to go and rewatch that scene. <laughs> Because I did not know that. Yeah. Now, full disclosure, Carrie didn't make it to the very end, so she also missed the Ice Ice Baby dance at the end. <gasps> okay. Definitely, I am going to pick up, I'm going to go and grab my tablet and hit play and watch the end of wait, it. Wait, wait. Is this your way of saying you want Netflix and chill tonight? Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm down for it. <laughs> it's a date. Um <laughs> No, okay. I have to ask, though. I've been propositioned on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Kids, avert your ears. (laughs) I think they just threw up a little. It's about to get a little freaky. (laughs) I am so grateful you know those buttons because I thought for sure you were going to hit the fart button. No. And I was going to follow it up with... Oh, that means he likes you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, getting away from the acting a bit here, I do have to point out, uh, and we talked a little bit uh, about this at the beginning, the cinematography on this, like it is, you know, like you and I have talked about this, you know, off the air kind of thing, how one of these days I would love to like, you know, rent a convertible and drive through like Arizona, Nevada kind of area, like drive through that desert area kind of thing. The cinematography on this is just like breathtaking. Can I just say that one of my most magical memories of driving home from work one day was like, it was about seven, eight o'clock in early spring when it does start to get dusk around that time. And I actually saw a tumbleweed in real life in like... You saw Adam Sandler <laughs> rolling through? No, but in, you know, in our area, which is like definitely not the, you know, Arizona desert, mm-hmm. um, I saw 
a tumbleweed rolling through like like a construction area where they were building new condos. Like, mm-hmm. um, and it was the most surreal, probably the most magical thing that I have ever remembered seeing. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just because it was so out of place. Like, it was incredibly out of place uh, for for where we live. And, and this movie kind of made me remember that moment in time. Is this like seeing a floating bag in the wind going, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Thanks, American Beauty. Right? You just, you just Thank made- Thank you. You, you got ju- the reference. You got exactly what was in my you head. You just made grocery store parking lots relevant. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, do, I do have to, you know, give credit where credit is due. This is beautifully shot. Uh, and the fact that it's on location- the fact that it's, I mean, this is why City Slickers was such a beloved film, right? Because it was out there, you know, it's shot where it actually should be. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful film on mute. <laughs> I'll just put it that It's a beautiful film on no, mute. No, not even. Really? No. <laughs> well, I mean, there were enough sight gags with the. The bureau. The bureau. Yeah. He likes you. <laughs> yeah you're the carrot and, yeah yeah well you know it, it was a beautiful backdrop for taylor lautner to swing on a noose back and forth too you know <laughs> things i never thought i'd hear myself say but here we are in 2022 i don't know if watching that scene silently would have the same laugh factor <laughs> but you know it, well it depends you know if you if you put on some like weird music and like like just creepy british children singing now you're now you're picturing it with that <laughs> soundtrack in your head, and you'll never hear it. It's it's like the Nightmare on Elm Street little, you know, one two three. No, no, we're not we're not doing that to ridiculous six. But what we are doing is actually naming an MVP for this film. So Carrie, yes, I Carrie, am ready. You are ready. I am so ready. Your body is ready for this. The Doctor Steve Buscemi. That that's. You know what's funny? I actually have it in my notes that Buscemi, as far as as far as like the 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 Sandler crew kind of thing and their cameos, Buscemi was one of the my more favorite cameos. Not as funny as Vanilla Ice, mind you, but a perfect Buscemi cameo. He was so funny. You know what? I am actually grateful that you didn't talk at length about him because I wanted to. All right. And and I want to own this. Um Take the mic. <laughs> Oh my God. I think he had the funniest, and, and and it's not even the funniest dialogue. He had the funniest uh, scenes with, like with that ointment <laughs> and it was just the most inappropriate usage um, and then reusage and then reapplication <laughs> of something that it doesn't taste that bad. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was just I, I don't know what's going on down here and why, why why that's green and stop doing whatever you're doing to whoever or whatever you're doing it to. You know what? Every time I saw him and I think he was only in twice. Two. Yeah, he only in two scenes. I laughed. Mm-hmm. I laughed inappropriately to those two scenes and I wanted more I wanted more Buscemi because every time they would go back to the to the doctors it was so it was so funny I I had a few on my list um 
Uh, Julia Jones was on my list as far as a potential MVP. Uh, at one point, I had Rob Schneider on my MVP list, and then I thought really? better. And then I banged my head against the wall and thought better of it. Um, I, I I fear for you. Mm, yes. I'm worried for you. Well, we watched The Ridiculous Six, so you know already I'm questioning my life choices here. But I I do not question my choice of Frank Karachi, the director, uh, as my MVP. Uh, I, again, I think from a filmmaker's standpoint script aside because he didn't have anything to do with the script so he can he can actually wash his hands of that but i think anyone who walks into that script and can come out with a visually good film um with an almost perfect for the the script sandler performance um it just goes to show that um when working with someone who knows how to work sandler sandler can work um and say what you will about this film um let, let's let's call it like it is okay this film has a zero percent score on rotten tomatoes and when you think about something with a zero percent score you think of literally being strapped into a chair clockwork orange style with toothpicks holding your eyelids open and a gun to your head in order for you to actually watch this movie. And I don't think this is that bad. Like it's not it's not a good movie. We're not saying it's a good movie. But we I think we're saying and I think we'll agree on this one that this is not a 0% film. I, I agree, and um, I'm not going to lie that um, when we pitched this movie, I mean, at first, when we pitched it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that'll be fun, and then I sat down, and I watched the first half hour, and then I kind of backed away from it, and I was like, uh, I don't know if I can, in good consciousness, say something nice about a movie that just seems so culturally insensitive. Oh, like that I, I don't know if, if I can defend it. However, then attempting to rewatch it and then almost making it to the end. Um, I, I think that might be part of it. And, and I suffered it too, is can you really defend or... Not defend, but... Um, can you justify? What's the word? Not justify, but can you... Can you justify Netflix spending $60 million on this? Um, can you be positive or say something um, positive about a movie that is inappropriate? And, you know, like, I, I think maybe that's maybe where the critics were coming from, mm-hmm. is that they did not want to put their... Uh, reputation on the line, giving it any more credit than mm-hmm. than nothing, and, and and that's sad because I think again they're missing the point that it it is not it is so incredibly self aware of its inappropriateness that it kind of makes it it kind of makes it okay to laugh at a few things, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, yes, it's is it wrong? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we know, we know that we're, we're being inappropriate here. But again, it's just a movie. 
And these are just characters, fictional characters. Right. Not in real life. Um, and again, portraying those um, various cultures and basically offending everybody equally. You oh, know. The, 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 there's, there's no... No, I think that's the beauty of it, though. No, is, no one, no one escapes like the, like the, you know, like you're right. This movie probably should not have been made. You know, at least without some very serious script, you know, script rewrites kind of thing. But you know, I, I don't even think a script rewrite. I think, I think the fact that they were equally offensive to all cultures mm-hmm. kind of makes it. A little, a little easier, easier to, to take. Yeah, I mean, I I would be curious. Like, if if you released this film in the eighties, right? You know, because yeah, there 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 are some crap that came out in the eighties. You you go back and you watch it, and you're like, how the hell did we find this? You know, appropriate enough to to release in theaters. I, I also tend to think, and I've said it before, that I think that we are far more aware Mm -hmm. and far more sensitive um, to, to, to not being offensive. We're almost to the point where, uh, and I'll admit, right. It's almost kind of like, should I even laugh at that? Or am I going to be seen as being offensive? Right. So it's it's almost kind of like but, we are so afraid to offend that um it, it makes you question like when it's when, almost like an overage. Yeah. And and you know on the upside this film didn't really have that many laughs and I think that's the biggest knock on it like for an Adam Sandler comedy film with this cast like this cast is is a phenomenal cast on paper. I just wish the script was better on paper to have better laughs because the laughs felt forced. It's almost like they tried too hard to make fun of everything so they didn't feel like they were picking on any one culture. And, you know, that that's... It tried to walk a fine line and it danced across it like it was about seven beers in on a roadside check. Like, that's that's the, the downside of this. It's not a funny... It's not a laugh out loud Sandler film. There's some gags. There's some moments. But it's not funny. It's not, you know, this isn't the water boy. This isn't this isn't a movie you're gonna walk out and quote. And that's all kind of always been my mental gauge as to the effectiveness of a comedy movie. If you're walking out of the film, or at least out of the room, because it's a streaming film, um, unfortunately it streams like someone with a UTI. Um like it's not quotable. The best comedies are the ones where you're quoting it for days, and then Saturday Night Live makes jokes of it for about a month or two afterwards. This isn't it. This is this movie doesn't have the jokes. It's just a joke, but it's not a zero percent. And there are aspects that you can go back and look at and go, you eh, know, it's not that bad. The characters had some heart to them. The team of the six bonded together and had some heart to it. It was beautifully shot, and there are some there are some characters in here where you can smile at, but it's not laugh out loud funny. 
Don't go in expecting a Sandler laugh fest. This ain't it. But it's not 0%. So it's not that bad. But if you had to put a, a, a score to it, though, where would you put it? Ooh. Um, <clears throat> I think somewhere around a 12 or 13%. Yeah, I mean, again, Metacritic has it at 18 and, and I, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's that seems that's seemingly accurate to me, but it's not zero. This this isn't zero. It's not right, but it's not zero. And that's kind of the whole point. It's like it's not that bad. All right. Now, Carrie, promise me we are not going to subject ourselves to something that bad next time around because yeah i don't know if i can go through another sandler film not right away little nikki oh i knew you were gonna go there oh i knew you one day although i will say little nikki is much much better than this there are laughs and it's quotable oh very i will say yes but and i and i will preface this you know what we should just do let's just get it out of the way let's just do little nikki next Ooh. Ooh, I like that proposition. And I, and you are I, on. And I will. It's a date. I will foreshadow you, fair listeners, that as an editor, Little Nicky has one of my most egregious faux, faux pas of filmmaking. Fascinating. And I'm, and I'm going to leave it at that. Ooh. You have to tune in next I'm time. I'm intrigued. Oh yeah. I want to know. Oh, I'm going to I'm 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 going to go off on on one part of that film. But that's for next week. Uh for this week, I'm Jay She's Carrie. Uh, this is It's Not That Bad. Now, if you guys want to join in, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Not That Badcast. And while you're there, let us know if there is a movie out there you think is unfairly maligned or you think is so bad much like this one that there's nothing really we can say that's good about it hit us up let us know we'll watch it we will dissect it and we will do our absolute best no matter how hard it is adam sandler that you know to find the a grades in those b movies until next time i'm jay she's carrie we will we'll catch you on the flip side take care It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 